Jackson. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. I'm your host, Ewan Disonquois. We'll be looking back at last week's anemic offensive performance as the Texans took a step back in what we thought was a team that turned the corner. We'll be looking ahead towards the game against the Atlanta Falcons and we'll also be hearing from one of the most infamous UK Texans fans. So thanks again for joining us on the Turn Up For What podcast. Unfortunately, I'm on the non-football related injury this week, looking like I've picked up some Sam Darnold-like symptoms. Hopefully the medical staff can get me get me right before we head out uh, to, to Houston on Thursday. So joining me for a bit of help last week as we look back at the game against Carolina and as well to, to this Sunday's clash against the Atlanta Falcons. Joining me is is Will, Will, Will Pelogic from the ESPN Upstate in Greenville, Carolina and the 929 The Game in Atlanta. Will, how you doing? Good to talk to you, man. Thank you so much for having me. So, I mean, so last weekend there was a lot of results which certainly tore up the, the form book and, and a lot of teams that look good on paper necessarily haven't uh, haven't performed and there's been some uh, shock results as, as in, through the first four weeks of the season. So, um, it's uh, it's certainly been interesting. Um so um, obviously, from a Carolina point of view, you'd be delighted uh, for the road win. Um, any way they come, what was the kind of reaction in the in uh, in the Carolinas based on uh, Kyle Allen's third start and a, another victory? You know, it's weird uh, because of the fact that I think so little was expected of him. I think that he's been a pleasant surprise. I think you could look at his first game, at least in this season, as a, a start where uh, people were looking at that game against Arizona and thinking, man. Uh, they're thinking that maybe Cam Newton could be possibly sat just for performances perspective because of the fact that, that Allen was just so uh, magnificent against the Arizona Cardinals. Well, we found out very, very early in the Houston game that uh, a lot of that had to do with Arizona and not necessarily Allen. Uh, I think you started to kind of see him kind of come back to earth. The three fumbles were not exactly an encouraging sign for him. And, uh, Certainly, the the Panthers have looked towards uh, this week to try and make sure that uh, he takes care of the ball security issues. But uh, the one thing that was always kind of the the thing that this team defines itself on is that defense. You saw greatness from uh, the secondary. You saw Shaq Thompson in the backfield the entire way. And you also saw a pass rush that finally uh, took the bull by the horns, pardon the pun. And I think that the uh, the real issue right now for, for Panther fans is trying to juxtapose the fact that there was such little optimism sitting kind of at that, that one and two realm because of the fact that people thought that, oh my goodness, this is going to be a team that, uh, that comes in and, and doesn't necessarily know what the heck to do with itself. But now, as you sit here uh, with the two wins off of uh, Carolina and uh, I mean, off of uh, Arizona as well as Houston, they're now looking at a position where uh, if they can get some wins and maybe get some head-to-head uh, foot road, uh, they're looking at possibly contending for either a division title or at least a wild card. So uh, the optimism, I think, is a very renewed thing for, for Carolina just because of the fact that uh, they probably didn't expect a lot after the Cam Newton injury, but uh, they're expecting a lot more now based on how the team not only has uh, picked Allen up after this past week, but also how he's performed uh, in that game against Arizona. 
Yeah, I think from a Texas point of view, it was hugely frustrating. You touched on the three force fumbles there, all, all three which has recovered. Um, only held held a, held Kyle Allen in the, in the offense to 16 points at home. So if you told me that going into the game, you would certainly think that was winnable. Um, I think as the season goes on, Houston will look back on that game as certainly an opportunity miss because if, if you look at the missed field goal in the first quarter, a blocked punt which led to three points for Carolina, a terrible trick play which in that situation was just not the right was not the right call. Um, two deep balls for, to Deshaun, to Fuller and Hopkins, which which when they don't get going and w- when those plays, the, the offense and starts to touch the shrink a bit and get a bit of conservative. So um, Watson holding on to the ball too long, looking for the looking for the big the big play, and um, you know that's that's certainly a frustration because I think Watson now um, and you you'll know from the Carolinas in his days at Clemson, but he's um, he's he's definitely um, he's definitely um, at crossroads I think now in his career because he needs to take that next step mentally because. The, the previous week, uh, we had a we had a really solid offensive line. We were forced in a, a late change um, at right guard, but um, the the difference between week three and week four in terms of getting the ball out quick and and not um, and, and 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 taking and taking some pressure off the line just wasn't there. So I definitely I think as we, as we look back on that game, it'll be one that got away. But you know, hats off to Carolina in terms of um, in terms of what they achieved. So in terms of the game on on, on Sunday, uh, well, what do you um, what do you think that um, uh, the Texans put out there on tape that, that teams are going to pick up on now as we go forward into the season? Well, the one thing, too, and, and you mentioned Deshaun's time uh, in the Carolinas, and obviously uh, it has continued here in the NFL. Uh, the, the The funny thing about it is that in this market that, uh, that I'm in currently, uh, the Greenville-Spartanburg market, uh, they basically treat this market like it's a Texans market for the uh, for the CBS games that end up uh, with the Texans involved. Uh, usually, uh, a lot of these teams will uh, possibly go to uh, other regional action that uh, doesn't necessarily have any regional uh, disposition. It'll usually go to the game that's usually more of a national perspective. But now, as a result of the last couple of years with uh, the Clemson infusion that's taken place in Houston, uh, the Greenville market kind of sits as an outlier. We usually get Texans games here, so uh, a lot of Clemson fans have been able to see uh, Deshaun's career develop. Uh, and the one thing that hasn't developed is the fact that he needs to understand that a lot of the tricks that he pulled when he was at Clemson, where it was extending plays with his legs or even uh, trying to hold the football a little bit longer than usual, aren't things he can get away with at the National Football League level. The linebackers are faster. Uh, People are able to close a lot faster. There were a couple of times where I saw him uh, flush from the pocket, and it's not necessarily something that we weren't used to seeing him at Clemson do, but uh, those were situations where those turned into big gainers as opposed to ones where he's having to run out of bounds and, and live to die another day. Uh, I think the one thing that you found out is that the Texans are vulnerable on the offensive line, and you also found out that uh, they're a team that if you have to win a defensive battle, uh, there are situations where you're going to find yourselves uh, kind of asking for things. And, and the one play that I look at, too, that really would be confounding from a Texans fan's perspective is the play where it looked like J.J. Watt had Kyle Allen sacked, but then Allen shed him basically on his lonesome and stood in the packet and able to get a pass away on a key third down that would have uh, at least gotten the Texans off the field. Uh, it's something that, you know, uh, every game comes down to about four or five plays, and that was just one where – uh, they didn't make it, and you know from J.J. Watt, obviously with your podcast and and, and how much he is to that franchise, uh, I would say that 
He is probably the biggest non-skill position player when it comes to a meeting to a franchise that anybody possibly possesses uh, just because of how marketable he has been with that Houston market. As somebody who covered the Texans in that market for three years, uh, I know full well about how much J.J. Watt means to Houston and to their success and, and how much he means to their marketing. Uh, but the fact is, the one player who is a non-quarterback offensive player that probably is the biggest player when it comes to anybody on the National Football League stage is Christian McCaffrey. Uh, you found out very, very much from, from Carolina's perspective just what he can mean to offensive continuity. And, you know, you would have thought that uh, maybe the answer to that question would have been Ezekiel Elliott, maybe even Todd Gurley before he had his arthritic knee problems. Christian McCaffrey has proven that he can take over a game on his lonesome. And while his stat line might not have been completely cosmetic, he, he was the reason they won that football game. So I don't know if there's necessarily too much to be discouraged by if you were the Houston Texans. You just saw one guy in Christian McCaffrey who basically won the game for the team in addition to the Carolina defense. Yeah, I mean, McCaffrey's sort of grown each season. He's been in the league. I think there was a, sort of a, an accusation that he'd been overdrafted and where they took him, but he's certainly grown into uh, a, a really productive player in this league out of Stanford. So I think, yeah, the, the, the what the what, uh, what sack on Kyle Allen was was a bit of a backbreaker, but I think the, the true backbreaker was uh, once again, and it becomes frustrating for the fans to watch, and um, is the the not picking up Eric Reed comes up from a safety up the safety position uh, to, to blitz and uh, fumble the ball and that that I think that at that point that was the real um, the uh, the real the real kind of uh, game game definer I think that coupled with the, the clock management from Bill O'Brien which is becoming more and more of an issue not having any timeouts with you know sort of over four minutes to go uh, really inhibited us in terms of trying to piece a drive together you know and if it was potentially what gets the sack and you only have to kick a field goal to take it to overtime then it could have been a different outcome I think yeah it was a tight game um, I think the Texans both um, and the Carolina I think they're both position groups or their best position groups are linebacker um, and it was a real real kind of uh, uh, a ground and pound game or it should have been I think and we kind of went away from the run a lot of the time and Duke Johnson kind of broke a play and then before the um, uh, up the up sort of an outside zone up the up the um, up the left up the left hand side and it uh, it could be before the, the ill fated trick play so yeah look it was a disappointing game I think we'll look back on that one as you you tend to do have one or two games a season on your schedule that you look back on and lament but um, you've got to move forward in this league because um, it wait it kind of wait waits uh, waits for no one um, so moving on to this weekend um, as I said I'll be be flying out on Thursday to uh, to attend my first game of the season at uh, NRG Stadium against the Falcons and coming into this season I think many people had the Falcons pitched at you know somewhere between a 9 and a 12 win team um, but really well I think from the start they've had it doesn't seem to materialize and what do you put that down to? You know Ewan it's it's very very difficult because I think that you know when you looked at the first four weeks of the Falcons schedule you thought that they could be Two and two at the very worst, maybe three and one at the very, very best, with maybe a loss to the Eagles in there. And the ironic thing is, their only win came against the team that I think many thought preseason was the toughest test among them, which was the Philadelphia Eagles. And so, as a result of that, the folks and the natives in Atlanta are, are completely restless. And, you know, I spent four days down there this past week and hearing a lot of the complaints, and a lot of them are valid. This offense is incredibly inconsistent. Uh, they lack an identity, and the defense continues to have uh, a lot of complete mental errors that just do not define what this team is built around. This team is built around the defense. Look at its head coach, Dan Quinn, 
was brought in here to bring forth the Legion of Boom from Seattle to Atlanta. And aside from the Super Bowl year, it has not materialized. Uh, I know that the Keanu Neal loss was something that many people point to as something of a backbreaking one because he is very much the kind of run stuffer that this off that this defense is built around. But you cannot be so one player de- dependent, especially when it comes to a guy like Neal, who has now missed a second consecutive season, at least the majority of it, with a season-ending injury. Uh, the fact is, they needed to have somebody to be able to step up and. They just did not have an answer for Derrick Henry last week. Uh, Marcus Mariota was a guy who did not look like the first three weeks of the season. This was a team in Tennessee that came off of a very discouraging performance against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Thursday night football about 16 days ago. And it was something that, to be brutally honest, it was not necessarily a team that looked like it was even capable of beating another NFL team. Lo and behold, a team in the Falcons that came in as a favorite, but they ran the football. Marcus Mariota looked like Warren Moon. Uh, the week before that, the Falcons made uh, Jacoby Brissett look like Johnny Unitas. Uh, there have been significant issues with the secondary. They have not gotten a consistent pass rush, and that's kind of left the linebackers and guys like Deion Jones out to dry. And so being that... Uh, from the Atlanta perspective, a lot of people are asking questions about the head coach that are very, very warranted. Uh, Matt Ryan threw a very costly interception in the game against Indianapolis, and while it wasn't his fault that he lost the game, uh, it was something that uh, basically was uh, on a drive where he had the ability to uh, basically get three points at the end of the half and ended up uh, basically going back uh, and and turning into a – uh, three-point the other way. So it was a six-point swing in a game that ended up only uh, being a three-point deficit. So uh, there have been key turnovers at bad positions. Uh, they had 16 penalties two weeks ago against Indianapolis. It was something that they took care of a little bit in volume. But the problem is when they occurred, uh, nine of the 16 penalties against Indianapolis occurred in situations that either extended drives for the Colts or killed drives for Atlanta, a.k.a. put them in down and distance that made it insurmountable for them to get a first down or possibly ended drives altogether. Uh, They rectified that, like I said, in volume in the week uh, prior or the week prior here when they took on Tennessee, but they still had three or four issues that basically ended up in extending of drives or killing of drives. And those are mental errors and mistakes that just cannot happen for this team to win. Uh, This team plays at already a thin margin for error. And when that margin for error is made basically infinitesimal or even non-existent, it's impossible for this team to win. Yeah, I think but when I look at the matchup and you, you think, and certainly last year proved that, that the, the Atlanta offense certainly didn't struggle to move the ball in the air um, with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley had 10 touchdowns as a as a rookie as well as um, as well as some of the other Austin Hooper coming back. And I think the, what the team was really looking for this season was balance. Um, and is, uh, is, is Freeman uh, get, give, giving the team that then or is he, certainly I, I read something during the week questioning if he was uh, he's back to his best or, 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 or even fully fit for that matter. You know, I thought that this week would have been a, a week for him to get going. You know, and I think that's the, the part of it that uh, was just so discouraging is that we've yet to see 
the Devontae Freeman of old. And again, he, he was another one who uh, was hampered by injury. And that's the one thing, too, that I, I see as a cautionary tale. So many people coming into the year uh, discounted the fact that last year for the Falcons was riddled by injuries as much as it was. And they just thought, oh, well, you know, you plug back in Devontae Freeman, who, who missed a majority of, or the last part of the season with injuries. Uh, you plug him back in. You plug back Keanu Neal in. You plug back in all these other people who are missing from the Falcons secondary and everything's going to be fine. Fact of the matter is, Devontae Freeman is averaging only 3.3 yards per carry. The better of the two linebackers has been Ito Smith, and he was the guy who got the call more often than not in crunch time for Atlanta. And he could be the person who, when you look at the game plan, might be getting a lot more of the touches than Freeman. Yes, Freeman's a bruiser. Yes, he's more of the kind of guy who you could say is uh, built like an every down back, but regardless of whether or not he's not finding the holes with the renewed offensive line. And again, they, they dealt with some offensive line issues when it comes to injuries uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks. Jamon Brown went down with an injury in the game uh, involving a concussion protocol. And there were obviously some issues uh, with, with Lindstrom, who is no longer there because of uh, a, a long injury involving his foot. Caleb McGarry has dealt with some issues as well. Uh, even the, uh, the center, Alex Mack, had a real debilitating penalty as well in that game and also had an injury that kept him out for a part of the game against Tennessee. Whatever the excuse is, he just hasn't been able to find the creases like he has. And this has also put the Atlanta Falcon coaching staff uh, really trying to search for balance. You know, when they brought Dark Cutter back in, it was supposed to rejuvenate the career of Matt Ryan. All it's really done is put him in situations where he's had to win games on his lonesome. And yeah, through four games, his numbers look great. 70%, uh, 1,300 yards and eight touchdowns, six picks. The picks number is not something that you like, but the fact remains, uh, he is somebody who has had to kind of take the, the, the game on his shoulders. And while it puts very, very nice numbers in his stat line, it doesn't put wins in the football team. And, you know, you can look at the fact that Brian, even last year, in a team that won seven games, yeah, he had better stats than he had in any year outside of the Super Bowl year. The reason his stats were so good was because the team had to throw the football a lot because they were behind a lot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think for me, the the, the uh, what's probably keeping uh, the Texans staff up at night will be our secondary, which is undoubtedly the Achilles heel of this team, uh, for sure. And um, and it's it's definitely something that uh, it's a matchup nightmare. I would suggest for for uh, for our, our players. I think we've got Jonathan Joseph there, who's kind of well past his best now at this stage of his career. Uh, Philip Rivers kind of really t- took the game to him the other week and uh, made a big made a big difference. I think in the uh, in the outcome of the game when they were searching for third downs and the f- and, and and hopefully um, if if Tack McKinley um, and and Cole can't consistently provide a pass rush hopefully Deshaun will get some time this week and be able to express himself a bit more than he's done in previous weeks because certainly our line I think has got all the right pieces in place similar to yourself we drafted two high picks this year in in Nashville um, to to try and solidify that line because it's almost an impossible uh, position group to fill now uh, because good players don't hit free agency nine times out of ten and you've got to kind of take the sort of uh, the best prospects coming out in the draft if you're going to put anything around your quarterback and um, it'll be interesting to see how, how, how the game pans out uh, for us and things. So in terms of Atlanta's biggest strength then uh, for for uh, the matchup against the Texans. Where did you see that libel? I do think that they'll be able to get more pressure in uh, on the defensive line because I think this is probably the most vulnerable offensive line they've seen in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the Colts offensive line is looked at by many as 
is one of the best in football. So it was very, very easy to see why they couldn't get a pass rush there. And the Colts, even though they were with, or, I mean, uh, rather the Titans, even though they were without their best offensive lineman in Luan, they were still able to uh, uh, be able to get kind of dominating parts of the line of scrimmage. I do think that, though, uh, this week the Falcons will make a special particular emphasis on trying to get pressure on Deshaun Watson. Uh, we have seen some moments this year from Vic Beasley, which is a contract year for him. And, and somebody who I talk to a lot, Therese Paler uh, of Yahoo Sports, who covers the NFL on a national scale, the one thing that he's – always telling me is that the contract year is undefeated and you know while Vic Beasley has performed since the Super Bowl year as a shadow of his former self a year where he had 15 and a half sacks he hasn't had nearly that many altogether since uh, he is somebody who is at least starting to to kind of come around and, and look the part and that's the part that uh, would concern me if I am the Houston Texans and their fans is that you know, he has looked good uh, so has Tack McKinley. The one guy I think you need to neutralize in the middle is obviously Grady Jarrett. Uh, the tackle spot opposite him continues to be a revolving door. Tyler Davidson is somebody who they've had in there, but I don't think he's performed nearly as consistently. Uh, I think that, that Jarrett is still the guy who, who is the straw that serves a drink on the defensive line. Uh, I still think that this defense has some impressiveness, but uh, – like you said with the Texans, their Achilles heel is uh, is the secondary. They, uh, the Keanu Neal situation has not necessarily resolved itself. They did make a trade this week, trading Duke Riley to the Eagles for safety Jonathan Cyprian. They also uh, swapped some picks as well to try and at least get some sort of guy in there who can provide a consistent stopgap uh, for Neal's departure. I do think that there is something to be said, though, for the Falcons' advantage when they go to the pass. The, the Falcons should be able to get theirs in the passing game. I don't think they have anybody who can possibly stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with a guy like Julio Jones. He's still a guy who can get his. Uh, there's a reason they paid him that big money off the offseason. And, uh, and even a guy like a Calvin Ridley, you know, uh, the one guy who I think uh, really did not necessarily benefit from the lack of work two weeks ago was Ridley. Uh, they tried to force-feed him in a couple of situations last week against Tennessee. Instead, the ball ended up going to Austin Hooper more often than not. And quite honestly, the Titans were, were fine with that. And, and the thing about Ryan, if there is, if there is a, a weakness to him, is that Matt Ryan almost uh, is kind of a take-what-the-defense-gives-him kind of guy. He has become almost kind of a, a little meek when it comes to the football. He hasn't gone out and uh, and really forced the issue at times when it comes to trying to put it in the situations where his best playmakers can make plays despite uh, being thrown into coverage. Uh, he will throw and try to find the open man. And sometimes that's to his detriment. And so uh, if there is something that needs to happen for the Texans defensively, need to get a body on 11, need to get a body on 18, and, and let other guys beat you. Because uh, if you allow jones to get you know single coverage or a free release uh it's going to be a long day in houston yeah i think there's definitely some parallels there i think in terms of the on the defense if you take that first of all with uh dj reader again talking about a contract year um certainly playing his best football uh at the right time uh, the clemson product is similar to grady jarrett and his kind of playing style and he's definitely you know playing himself into a deal as is on another contract year player as whitney merciless and has had a really historically strong start to the season uh with forced fumbles and and getting to the quarterback consistently so i think that'll definitely be an area to watch because we've continually done that well across the the uh across across the first four games of the season i think as well hopefully if uh, deshaun can take a couple of notes from uh, matt ryan's book and the, the quarterbacks that last in this 
league certainly have a propensity to more often than not when the big play isn't on to take take what the defence gives you and find those underneath find those, the guys in the slot and uh, or check it down to the, the fullback or running back because well, that's that's been a, a big uh, a big a big issue for the offence because we continually stall out drives by trying to, uh, to to overplay at times and I think that's definitely going to be something that we want to maintain drives and I think what what happened certainly for the when the Atlanta Falcons were beaten by the the Colts um, the, the, what the Colts did really well that week was uh, actually not let Matt Ryan on the field too much um, and I think it was a record of possession since 2000 so you know if we can sustain drives and 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 uh, and, and control the, the the play clock and uh, the time of possession then I think that would be a really big uh, bonus for us because I think certainly from the the reports that I've heard the the uh, just and again another parallel between the two teams is the uh, is that I don't think that the fans are, are particularly happy at the minute I think Bill O'Brien just as Dan Quinn are potentially on some uh, some some sticky territory in terms of their uh, their output as of the season because uh, obviously Dan Quinn and, the, and Co have never really recovered from the, the the Super Bowl loss and I think now as the time goes on uh, with the with this team I think we need to see more consistency from an offense where we've put a lot of first round and, and top end picks into it so the current level of production circa last week is just not good enough and it's going to have to going to be more consistent um, and and more productive if we're going to win games that we necessarily should so um, I think the 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 best performance potentially albeit the offense the week one against uh, New Orleans was great um, we showed you know we could really hang with some of the best teams in the league but I, I felt the week three game against um, the LA Chargers was a good good outing for us and I think that will require some of the the game plan that, that they implemented that week against Atlanta on on, on Sunday um, so in, in terms of any predictions uh, Will have you got any for, for Sunday it's off, off, awful hard to to uh, to to call it in this league and it certainly we've seen some some strange results in the last couple of weeks but where, where do you see it, this one ending up I, I think that if, if anything we're going to see some points like that's the, that's the one thing that I will say about this I, I don't know if I, I feel confidently one way or the other to pick one team over the other uh, the one thing I do know is that I think you're going to see some points. I don't know if I have a, a lot of confidence in either of these teams being able to stop the other. Uh, this, uh, just, just from a standpoint of Vegas, this game has uh, the second highest line of those that are on Sunday uh, when, it comes to the, uh, when it comes to the over-under numbers. The only one that has a higher point total on Sunday is Indianapolis and Kansas City. Uh, they're expecting 56 to 56 and a half combined points between those two on Sunday. They're expecting 48 and a half in Vegas when it comes to uh, Atlanta and Houston. So the one thing that I will say is that uh, expect some points. Uh, I think it's going to come down to who has the possession at the end of the game. Uh, I do think that there are opportunities for the Texans offense to to get some opportunities against the Falcon D mainly because of the fact that they still do have DeAndre Hopkins, very, very similar to what Julio Jones brings to the table. I think you're going to see a showcase of both of those guys between Hopkins and Jones. I think whichever one is able to find its star and utilize its star and the greatest asset will be the one that wins. And uh, the one thing that I think you will see, too, is that uh, the head coach that loses this game might have his days numbered because you mentioned the uh, – the precarious nature of where Bill O'Brien is. Yeah, Bill O'Brien is somebody who is basically judge, jury, and executioner right now because of his position as the uh, de facto GM in Houston. But right now, Dan Quinn, uh, a lot of people in the Atlanta area here are just uh, completely uh, dissolute when it comes to this particular team. Uh, they thought that this was a part of the schedule that they were going to be able to to dominate. And the one thing, too, that you have to wonder uh, for 
uh, Atlanta's perspective is that Atlanta has really struggled against the AFC. They are one and nine against AFC teams in their last 10 matchups against, including six consecutive in the loss column, and that includes uh, the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. This is not something that has, uh, has been very, very good for them over the course of the last couple of years. And because of that, they need to uh, figure out a way to beat an AFC team. The schedule becomes less forgiving. Uh, the one thing that would be an advantage for them over the course of the latter part of the season is they still have yet to play a division game. They do not play a divisional game until the 10th of November when they take on the New Orleans Saints. Outside of that, they basically play uh, basically all of them kind of in a little stretch of seven or eight weeks uh, when they end up basically playing a little round round between them, the Buccaneers, Saints, and, of course, Carolina. So because of that, uh, they get a lot of their uh, other business out of the realm of possibility here. But outside of the game here against Houston and the game against Arizona, it's hard to see many more winnable games. So if there is a point in this season where they need to get things right it has to be now. So, so desperation is, is definitely on their side if you're thinking about uh, which team comes into this game with uh, a lot more to lose than to win. Yeah, you think in terms of the, the two head coaches, you think, as you said, of Bill O'Brien uh, writes, the, writes the theme tune, sings the theme tune, I think, for us. And uh, at the minute, you know, he shipped off Clowney, which, you know, it was uh, a tough one to take as a fan, seeing that guy from, you know, South Carolina days and into the league, and he was still growing as a player. So that was a tough one. I know the, the Falcons were definitely interested when he first came out in the draft. Um, there was talk of a trade up. And then also, I think they, they tried to work out a trade. I think we'll never quite work out the, the uh, sense on the dollar that we, we shipped him to Seattle and uh, seeing him get a pick six last week was a tough one to take. Um, as, as you said, I think in terms of the points, there's a reason why those lights in, in Vegas are so bright and uh, they're definitely onto something there, I think. So it could come down to a last-minute field goal. I think the 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 two stars of either offense Hopkins bar week one has not been um, the, the the most produ- productive that he's been um, in his career up to this point so um, it'd be interesting to see if he can uh, and, and and have a bounce back week and uh, and put up some yards for this offense because definitely Deshaun at times is guilty for um, you know staring him down to try and find him in the play but um, thank you very much um, that's Will Pelagic from ESPN Upstate uh, in Greenville and the nine two nine the game in Atlanta Will thanks very much for joining us I hopefully speak to you again soon. Thank you so much. Appreciated it. So joining us this week on the Turn Up For What podcast, we asked you the fans of the Houston Texans in the UK to hear from you and delighted to have our first fan on uh, this week, probably the most infamous uh, Texans fan within the UK, uh, otherwise known as the Kilted Texan. Graham, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you for having me on, yeah. So the Kilted Texan tells the origins of that and how that all came about. So I've been travelling out to the States since 2008. Uh, as you all know, when you first go to a game, you're just normal, you know, top, shorts, baseball cap. Uh, went to the game, loved it, enjoyed it. And then over the years, we're, we're travelling back to numerous games. You, you, you start coming across all the super fans and you start becoming part of their world. Um, and then one year I decided I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and make something my own here. So I got in touch with the, the Texans and asked them if it was okay to use their logo on kilts, on, on my specific kilt. And they, they got back to me and said, yeah, we're all for it. Keep us updated. Love it. Sent me permission to do it. And, and after that, I wore it to a game and I met this guy, uh, Crazy Chains. You, you might have met him before. 
and and he he loved it. And then we got talking and we come up with the, the kilted Texan. Uh, so we moved forward with that and got the chains made and and after that the rest history yeah so how did it come about you buying your first ticket for the game what made you do it well i was i was actually in visiting the in-laws as they just moved out there that year and um, we went out and they would just want us to, to be immersed in things that happened in houston so we went along the game and it was actually we were invited to like a corporate tailgate it, it, wasn't sure what it was going to be like and we, and we were there and the guy was like oh is this your first game in, in, in Houston and we were like yeah we've only been to one game in London prior that was the Saints Chargers game and he, he was like let me see your tickets so we were like okay showed him and he was like oh no you can't sit there no you can't sit there so he took our tickets traded them with his own tickets and then was like no you're sitting here for this game and it was all like waiter service couldn't believe it we were totally looked after. He says, everything's on me. Uh, and after that, we went back to the tailgate and he was like, how was it? And we're like, unbelievable, unbelievable. And after that, I was like, if, if everyone's this nice at a Texans game, I can't not be a Texan after that. So, yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's certainly been my experience as well. I think the, the hospitality, the generosity of people that you've maybe just met five minutes before is just... Is unbelievable, and it's it's uh, they treat you as one of their own, um, and it's it's uh, it's a special experience. So, um, of, of the tailgates, what what would you recommend for for when people are out in NRG to go and visit? Well, I'm 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 a bit biased. I love the guys at the Raging Bull tailgates. They're they're in the blue lot, just just in front of NRG. You're you're looking at NRG at the, the platinum lot side. Uh, it's an open tailgate. Anyone's allowed to go home and away, which when the away fans turn up, that's when it gets a bit more fun uh, because they love to poke fun at them. But but in a nice way, it, there's nothing derogatory or anything, but those guys, they remember you every time you go. You, you can actually buy some merch off them, so that means that it's it, it kind of supports their cause a bit. And the, their bar's just like a donation bar. The food's donation. You know, you don't have to go crazy spending money but they are more than welcome to have you. And they've got a DJ playing the whole the whole tailgate. So I, I really, every time I'm over, I always call in by those guys. They're, they're brilliant. And since you've been following this team, Graham, since 2008, what's been what's been your standout memories? My, my standout memories watching the team? Wow, I've, I, there's, there's so many to list. You know, I've been very lucky in the games that I've managed to attend just by pure chance. Uh, like, I, I happened to go to the game where they did Andre Johnson's send-off when, when they dropped the number down in the, the Ring of Honour. That, that was a special moment. I was actually at the game last year... Uh, the Monday night game against the Titans when the, the emotions were high after Mr. McNair passed away and they had the big tribute for him. Um, those are kind of special memories from a happen to be there and those will be infamous games. You know, you'll always remember them. Um, as, a, as a score point of view and a play point of view, I, I was in for the Titans game. I don't know if you remember it when I think Fitzpatrick threw six touchdowns and one of them was to J.J. Watt. That was the year J.J. Watt went off. Uh, should have been MVP, but wasn't because he's not a quarterback. So that's by the by. But yeah, when when Watt 
caught that touchdown pass, I actually thought NRG was a way to collapse. It was unbelievable. I've never been in a stadium when something like that's happened before. So that's kind of some of my favourite moments. Yeah. No, it sounds excellent. I think obviously the, um, you know, there was some some kind of perhaps misplaced comments with Bob towards the end of his his tenure. But I think what he did for the city and brought back football after a period of of not having any when Bud Adams moved the yeah. team to Tennessee, and I think that passion and and the and the, uh, the the fact that it's obviously a football town is uh, is huge. I mean, obviously the Astros have have been big and they've been coming back into obviously winning the World Series and. I uh, was lucky to be there, but I mean, certainly some of those moments, particularly with Bob and the the, the the legacy that he's left, you know, and people like us thousands of miles away talking about it, I think tells you what you need to know. Yeah. So, so Graham, in terms of your um, in in terms of your your fandom, then it certainly brought you to somewhat infamy, um, and you were you received a, a an award or a, or an award of tickets from the NFL UK. He tells a bit about that. Well, that come out of absolutely nowhere. That was something that happened on Twitter. Um, my pal put me forward, who is actually a Colts fan, just to, to give you some scope on that. He put me forward on, on Twitter to NFL UK when they asked if they knew any big fans in the, that were were over here. And, and he said, yeah, you should check out my friend's fan cave. Uh, so they got in touch and were like, show some pictures. And when I did, they just, it just blew up from there. They asked to come up, film it. And then on the back of the filming, they said, we need you down in Liverpool to one of their live events. Yeah, so I went down, not really knowing what was going to happen, but they said that they were going to show the video on stage and they were going to have me up, which, of course, I was a bit nervous about with, with all the people that were there. Uh, I, I went. They showed the video, I went up on stage, and that's when, if anyone's seen it on social media, I, I was absolutely speechless, couldn't believe what had happened. Um, and then the whole trip itself was was was, was really good, uh, amazing. Uh, it was the only way I could actually describe the Super Bowl with the, the number of different fans there was like going to an international series game. In, 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 in an essence, because there were so many fans from other teams there, there was a, a really strong Patriots contingent. The, there wasn't Rams, but the Patriots fans were so loud in, in such numbers as well. But just, and um, the whole weekend was just an amazing experience. Yeah. Excellent. Well, hopefully we can we can have one eventually uh, for our team. It's a long, hopefully a long time coming, but uh, we'll we'll see. I think Deshaun's got this team on the right path anyway to potentially potentially take us there. So, game day experience then. How does for a Super Bowl? What does the in stadium atmosphere compare like to when it's you know predominantly a home crowd? I think that's potentially some of the criticism of the Super Bowl is a lot of the tickets don't make their way to the real fans, and it's a lot of corporate and. And, uh, and and none none of the sort of hardcore fan base for each for each team. Yeah, from from what I seen was yeah they've got a, a, a huge corporate element, but the whole section that I was sitting in was NFL dot com or NFL uh, ticket winners. There was there was fans from every team in my section from all over the world, so it was quite a. It was quite a fun section to sit in due to the fact that everyone had their own story. You know, in between plays, people were actually asking each other, so so how did you get here? And the stories behind them was absolutely amazing. But as a game day, it was actually louder than the TV makes out. I, I watched the game back when I got home to see how it how it transpired, like how, how it come across. And 
Um, it was so much louder at the game. Uh, I don't think the TV does it justice. It was actually as loud as being in a NRG at some points. Those Patriots fans, they, they come with a noise. And I think that because you you couldn't get the crowd noise in, you didn't realise how much they were disrupting the Rams that day. It, it was loud when the Patriots were, were, were crying against them on defence. So loud, yeah. Excellent. No, well, as it sounds a, sounds a great experience. I think once in a lifetime, hopefully not not necessarily once a lifetime for all of us. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, but uh, no, it sounds great. Um, so in terms of obviously you've got the big game coming up in London, uh, we touched on the podcast uh, last week that you know it's a concern I think for the team and the and the health of the players with the travel and the body clocks and and the preparation uh, adjustments they need to make um, but obviously from a selfish point of view for for fans we get to see the, the team play for the first ever time on on uh, on British soil so excited about it um what's your thoughts and uh, what you're looking forward to the most about it? it it is great that they are coming to meet us on our side of the pond this time um as as you travel a lot of games and I travel a lot of games um, we don't mind travelling, but it's great to have them coming our way. It will be tough on them. There, there's no denying that. I, I think uh, the Texans fans are going to have to be a bit patient with them. They, they might take it a, a, a quarter or so to get into it. Uh, we've seen that in the past with some of the teams that have come over for the first time. They, they've struggled, but uh, I'm really hoping that they can put on a show and, and build build the fan base over here. Because I think that will be key uh, to them coming back if they can if they can put on a, a decent showing. Hopefully, beat out the Jags for a second time this season, but in a more convincing manner, and and just build the fan base, get them get them back a few times, you know. And with all the chat about the Jags maybe being that team that comes here, you never know. We might see them here more than more often, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You just obviously, I think it'll it'll take a renegotiated uh, collective bargain agreement, I think, to get players to agree to play abroad. So we'll probably have to wait and at least another two seasons before that's kind of has any sort of direction. But yeah, certainly there's an opportunity to to see the team more, and I, I think certainly from the from the the rumours and uh, and the sort of feelers that I've had out there, I think a game in Germany is definitely pending for this team at some point because the amount of coverage Deshaun and the amount of advert space that Deshaun has, has, has had in, in Germany is definitely something that's uh, more than other places so I think you know that that's potentially a great uh, a great avenue for a game there's a lot of good stadia in Germany and a lot of expats and a lot of big American football following yeah. with their own leagues and, and their history in NFL Europe so again that I think that would be even more exciting so for the neutrals if there are any listening what, what would you tell them for them coming to Wembley they've never seen the Texans play they don't know much about the team they've probably heard of Deshaun what should they expect uh, come Sunday the 3rd of November? I think they're, they're, they're going to see a very mobile, very smart quarterback this year. You know, we've seen it in the Chargers game at the weekend that he is learning the systems better. He, he's going he's gonna to take his shots downfield. We've got a, a really good wide receiving core. People were worried about our defence, but I still think it can bring the boom, especially with the way Whitney Merciless has started, absolutely flying out the blocks. So I think the team will be exciting on the day. Um, I I always find them exciting to watch anyway. Um, so what the what the neutral has to do is learn from your Texan fans sitting beside you. When the when the Jags are on offense, get loud on all the downs, make it hard for them. You know, let, let's just help this Texans team out. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think we're looking forward to it. I think it could be a very different team, perhaps. Will it be Gardner Minshew? Will, will Nick Foles be back? Will Jalen Ramsey be traded? You know, there's a lot of stuff to happen between now and then. And certainly, I think the Jags have got the more favourable schedule in the run-up to that game. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've got the both both teams have the bye the week after. So, you know, it, it's a, a lot can swing in your favour and a lot can swing against in that time. But certainly, it's it's definitely a, a great spectacle to look forward to by all, by all sets of fans. So, Graham, if there's any fans out there who have thought about it, perhaps, never just did it or didn't know how to go about it how would you tell them about booking a trip to Houston and, and, and going to see the Texans at home or even on the road well we always just find your cheap flights you know find the cheap flights um, you're, you're probably better for me anyway going into an Airbnb uh, or if, if you want to be right on schedule just go to your, the Crown Plaza just at the end of Kirby it's right there. You fall out of the stadium back into your hotel bed after a long day tailgating and watching games. But I would just get yourself to H Town. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna regret it once you get into NRG. You're gonna want to go back time and time again. Excellent. Couldn't have said it better myself, Graham. Thanks very much for your time. And that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the Turn Up For What podcast. I've been your host, Ewan Disenquire. Bit under the weather this week, but we're keen to get something out to you. Next week, we'll, we'll be live from Houston, Texas, and then we'll be taking a road trip to Kansas City uh, to take on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So look, look forward to bringing you some live content there. And signing off for another week, and let's go Texans. <laughs>